Once again, we have the privilege and joy to turn to God's holy word this evening. We'll look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, our text will be the first five verses. But for context, I would like to first read from Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 and then read up until our text. But before we begin to read God's holy word and to hear his word proclaimed, let's pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. Let's pray together. Oh dear God, our Father in heaven, we come before you once again this evening hour and in a time of worshiping your holy name. And in our hands we hold your word translated into our own language. Oh, what joy it brings for us to be able to access and read your word. Help us to treasure it, and we pray for your illuminating power. We need your help, dear God, to understand the things that you have written for us. And so we pray that you will open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things out of your law. For Jesus' sake, amen. We'll start at Colossians 1, starting at verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And now our text. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. And the sermon is entitled, The Desirable Effects of the Gospel. And at All Saints Presbyterian Church, I have the privilege of preaching through the book of Colossians. I felt that that would be a good book to start the work with, uh, focusing all of us on the glories of Jesus Christ. And if you read Colossians 1 once again, you will see that it presents the glory of Jesus Christ uh, in that chapter. And so this is the latest sermon preached at All Saints, and may it be a blessing to us as well here at Grace in Lynchburg. Well, in the 1800s, the Church of England had in her ranks some theologically sound ministers who loved the Lord and served Christ faithfully. And perhaps the best known was J.C. Ryle. Perhaps you have his books on your shelves. Well, another such minister who was faithful in the Church of England at that time was Richard Hobson. And he ministered in the city of Liverpool in a particularly 
spiritually destitute area known as Little Hell or the 16 acres of sin. And the Lord used Hobson and grew the church from a beginning of five parishioners in 1868 to over 3,000 by 1901. And in his ministry, there are numerous examples of how the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed the lives of those the Lord saved. On one occasion in 1870, Hobson writes the following. Hearing of a distressed family in one of the courts, I at once went to it and found the place bare and filthy. On an old sofa lay a dead child. And near it was another child, ill. There was no fire, no food, and no one else in the room. Upstairs I found the father on a wretched bed, suffering from typhoid fever, but quite conscious. Knowing me, he groaned, Oh, God bless you for coming, sir. Looking at something stirring in a corner on the floor, I saw the hair and black distorted features of a woman. The man managed to say as well as he was able, That's my poor wife. She has been confined. The nurse gave her rum and see the look of her. And he began to cry. I at once took charge of the family. Had the parents removed to hospitals, the sick child cared for, the dead one buried. I visited husband and wife regularly at the hospitals. They both recovered, but she lost three toes and two fingers. He began to attend church. Sometime after, I met him accidentally in the street. When he caught me warmly by the hand and looking at me joyfully in the face, he said, I have good news to tell you. I was born again last Sunday morning in church. Praise God. For 25 years, he lived a consistent Christian life and was then called home. It was pleasant to hear him at times testifying at open-air services what God had done for his soul. His wife remained as she had been, a slatternly tippling creature. How he could have lived with her was a wonder, and yet he loved her. And to his great joy, some two years before he died, she showed signs that gave hope in her death, which took place some months before his. Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, sinners become saints. And God is glorified through lives transformed by his grace and by his power. And these are the desirable effects of the gospel. In the last verses of Colossians chapter 1 that we read, we see the character of Paul's faithful ministry and that it involved a love for God, a love for the church, and a spirit of humble and faithful service. The message of his faithful ministry was the fullness of the word of God, revealing the mystery of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for both Jews and Gentiles, and that people from all over the world are the objects of his electing love. In Colossians 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul continues his presentation of a faithful gospel ministry, this time focusing on the desirable effects of the gospel. He expresses with great fervency that the desirable effects of the gospel would be seen in the lives of the Colossian believers he was writing to, as well as all who repent of their sins and place their faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so we see this evening the desirable effects of the gospel. And first, we see a desire for gospel spread. Chapter 2 of the letter to the Colossians begins with the Apostle Paul expressing a fervent desire for the effects of the gospel to spread to all believers. We read in verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul had a warm heart for the church, even those he had never met, including the Colossian church. He had never met these people. His desire was to see the church grow and every Christian to be deeply blessed in faith and in love for the Lord and in a fruitful Christian life. And this is what he earnestly prayed for. The word the apostle uses for conflict in our verse uh, one is the Greek word agon, from which we get the English word agonize. And so it's fair to say that Paul agonized over his desire for his fellow Christians. The word is also used to describe conflict and combat in public games, such as gladiatorial matches. And so with that word, we have an insight into the prayer life of the Apostle Paul, and particularly for God's people. And this same earnestness in prayer that Paul displayed is also reflected in chapter 4, verse 12 of Colossians, a verse I find both convicting and striking. Read it, read it with me if you can. Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Laboring fervently. Oh, dear friends, if only that were to describe our prayer life, that we would labor in prayer fervently before the Lord. These men were great men of prayer and accomplished things for the kingdom of God because they, with great wrestlings before the Lord, went to God's throne of grace to obtain their requests of Him, both with respect to asking for God's glory to be seen in the gospel and that the church would be blessed by the Lord. This should be a mark of great encouragement for us to develop a strong prayer life. Oh, dear friends, do you desire to see the desirable effects, the glorious effects of the gospel in your own life, in the lives of your children, and in the spread of the gospel through Grace Presbyterian Church here in Lynchburg and in the surrounding areas? Oh, we've talked and prayed earlier about the needs here. There are needs. There are lost people outside the walls of this building. And do we pray we pray to that end. Oh, we must be people of prayer. Let us be encouraged then to be so in the strength of Christ our King. He's our King. He's the King of the world. And He hears us. Well, what was the root goal of the conflict that Paul had? In chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, we read that Paul wanted to make the Word of God fully known so that all believers would be presented mature in Christ. And these are the goals of his toiling, his struggling, his warnings, his teachings, and his prayers, that believers would be mature in their faith, in Christ, the fruit of which are seen here in our text. 
But before we get into the details of the desirable effects of the gospel in our text, I wish to point out the love that Paul had even for believers who he had never met. He had a conflict, not only for the believers in the city of Colossae and Laodicea, but for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And you can project, maybe Paul knew, maybe he didn't know, how to the extent that his letters would go forth, he did know he was writing the words of God. And undoubtedly, he had a desire for us here as well to grow in our faith and our knowledge of the Lord. And does this then not reflect the unity of love that all Christians have with one another because of their union and faith in Christ? Perhaps you've traveled to some new place, perhaps a new city or even a new country, or or even a work meeting. Perhaps you've traveled for work, and you're in an unfamiliar place. And all of a sudden, in a conversation, you realize that the person you're conversing with is a fellow believer. Isn't there a wonderful connection instantly with that person? You have a bond of connection with them. Well, I think I have that with two members sitting here in the Ukraine church. We worshiped together a number of years ago in our adoption of our Ukrainian daughter. And there, my family had an immediate connection with those people. And perhaps you've had the same You see, there is great unity among believers. And this is one of the blessed effects of the gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul had conflict over. That Christians would experience in great measure the desirable effects of the gospel. And that those effects would spread as the gospel goes forth. Not just in new believers and other people, but in themselves. You see, the gospel is not only for people who don't know the Lord. It's for us as well. We regularly need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would be built up in our faith and constantly reminded of the glory and goodness of Christ in our lives. Well, having looked at the spread of the desirable effects of the gospel, we turn our attention to a desire for gospel blessings. We read in verses 2 and 3 that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And here, the Apostle Paul gets specific about what he's praying for. We live in a broken world. And the beginning story of Richard Hobson of Liverpool reflects some of that brokenness, doesn't it? It was a long time ago that story occurred, and yet our own society, we see brokenness. Well, the desirable and transforming effects of the gospel are so wonderful and beautiful when displayed in the life of believers. And that brokenness is itself broken. You see, the gospel removes the misery of sin. It heals wounds. And here in our text, we read of three specific blessings that Paul prays for. The first being encouraged hearts. Encouragement necessarily includes peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, and close communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is comfort in our hearts 
knowing the love of God is upon us as proven by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ was sent because of God's love for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is primarily why Paul expresses thankfulness to God in the earlier portions of Colossians chapter 1. Well, that Paul speaks of and prays for believers to be encouraged is quite remarkable in light of the suffering that he earlier confesses that he undergoes for the church in verse 24. And we recall also the setting in which Paul wrote his letter. He was sitting in prison for the sake of the gospel. And yet, despite those realities, he prays for the encouragement of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this way, he displayed the selflessness of Jesus Christ, who was so tender to his disciples, caring about their souls and shepherding them even on the eve of his crucifixion. In fact, perhaps you'll recall that even while on the cross, Jesus ensured that his mother was taken care of by John. Oh, what amazing tender love that Christ has for his people, even above his own circumstances. Well, a key aspect of this encouragement is the second point, being knit together in love as believers. And this is the second effect of the gospel that Paul prays for. If there was no love or little love between members of Christ's church, how could there be any encouragement? But that he prays for this means that this unity of love, this being knit together, is not only a possibility, but an expectation. Paul prays here for things that he expects will be granted. Prayer is not a shot in the dark. It's a reality that if we pray for things the Lord wills and that are according to his will and for his glory, they will be granted, dear friends. And unity and love that Christ may be glorified and the church built up is one such prayer. Christians ought to be knit together in love for one another. And of course, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, but ultimately the author of Scripture is God himself. And so we see God's desire for his church, that we must be knit together in love. And this is quite remarkable if we compare what Paul requests and expects of our society today. It seems that in our current situation here in the United States, division is expected. In fact, differences among peoples seem to be magnified to the point where unity and love for one another seems all but impossible. Great divisions are occurring here in our own nation, in our own state, perhaps in our own city, based on ethnic differences cultural differences, financial and economic differences, etc. And yet none of those differences are any cause for division whatsoever. Why is that? Because this knitting together in love is not based on us. It's not based on something essential to each individual person. Rather, Christian love and unity is based on the person and work of Jesus Christ who has saved his people and is gathering them all together. I'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 7, a familiar verse. 
but one that I think captures this idea of unity. Verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 7. We read, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, what a picture of the church triumphant, consisting of peoples from all over the world, united together in Christ in their love for the Lord. Through his word, Jesus Christ reveals to each person that they're sinners and that they all need to be saved by his precious blood. In this sense, Christianity is the great leveler. All people, no matter who they are or where they come from or how much money they have in the bank, what their job is, how much melanin in their skin, all people are lost in their sins without the saving grace of God regenerating them. All people need the Lord. And when a person is saved, when the Holy Spirit penetrates their hearts with the gospel and transforms them from those who live in sin and darkness into those who love the Lord and find in Him their all in all, they also love others who the Lord has saved. And this is why Scripture uses family terms to, de to describe Christians, brothers and sisters, we are all adopted children, adopted into the family of God, having nothing in and of ourselves to boast about, but rather having our boast and our pride centered on Christ, our Savior and our King. Well, one of the problems in the Colossian church was that false teachers were trying to get the Colossian believers to add personal works of merit to ensure that they're saved. Well, do you see the problem? Well, there's lots of problems with that. First of all, this declares that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. But it also separates people because some are going to be more diligent and more capable of doing this or doing that, doing that imposed human thing or that imposed duty. And therefore, in light of that man-made system, some will have a cause for boasting over others. Oh, but dear friends, this is not so. We can add nothing to the salvation earned by Christ. Jesus has done it all in his death and re resurrection. And therefore, we have nothing to boast about other than this. That our boast is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us, let our focus and faith then be on Jesus Christ. So that here at Grace OPC, we would have our hearts knit together in love. But not only for ourselves, but for all believers who name Christ as their Savior. And we see then that the Apostle Paul desired that Christians are encouraged and are knit together in love for one another. Well, the final effect in these two verses, verses 2 and 3, uh, of the gospel that he prays for is that they would attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Well, what does the Apostle Paul want believers to understand? 
We read in verses 2 and 3 again, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul wants us to understand the mystery of God. That is Jesus Christ and to have faith in him. And that God gave him as our salvation. You see, when we know the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, his majesty, the humiliation that he undertook to save us in becoming a man and dying on a cross and being buried and remaining under the power of death for a time, and then the exaltation he experienced and descending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God and the fact of his glorious return one day, we will be filled with assurance with the increasing knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, we have an assurance in our conviction of truth and confidence in our lives as Christians. It's interesting that Paul uses the term mystery to speak about the gospel of Christ and specifically that Christ has come to save all people, not just the Jewish people. And yet he makes clear that this mystery is accessible to all, that all may gain the knowledge of it. It does not, you see, take some special guru who has some special God revelation to see secret truths therein. No, no, in Christ and through the clear reading and preaching of the gospel, all may know their Savior and their need for Him. And the key is that our faith must center on Jesus Christ and in his person and work. He's the one that God sent to save and to seek the lost. We read in verse 3 that in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, these are valuable things. They're riches, important things, the greatest treasures that we could ever attempt to obtain. And they are laid out for us in the Word, free to access. In Christ, we have spiritual insights and the knowledge needed to have faith in Him. And therefore, Jesus Christ must be the focus of our faith and the object of our love and our devotion. And this, in turn, allows believers to attain full assurance of the knowledge of Christ. Our knowledge and faith in Christ should flow out of our lives in assurance of his grace. Well, what does this assurance look like? I'll give one example. B.B. Warfield relays the following story about a young soldier who had just arrived to help bring order to a town in the Confederacy just after the Civil War had ended. He writes, The soldier heading toward his new outpost across town felt sorry for those in the crowd around him, their faces either pale and drawn, full of fear, or red and puffy, swollen with greed. Amidst this turmoil, he noticed a man approaching him from the opposite end of the street, calmly and purposefully threading his way around a group of quarreling men on one side and an overturned barrel of grain on the other. Confidence, peace, and self-control were etched into this stranger's face. He seemed unruffled by the surrounding chaos and unafraid. 
With much satisfaction, the soldier watched the man as they passed each other on the street, unwilling to take his eyes off the serene stranger and return them to the fretful townspeople. The soldier turned to look back at the man's retreating figure. When he did, he found to his surprise that the stranger had also stopped in the street and was looking back to him. Abruptly, the stranger turned his heel, came back to the place where the soldier stood staring and pointed his finger at the brass button uniform. What is the chief end of man, he demanded. To glorify God and enjoy him forever, came the young man's surprised but spontaneous reply. I suspected as much, the stranger said, slapping his thigh. I could tell you were a shorter catechism man by the look on your face. I thought the same of you, the soldier laughed. You see, Christians need not fear the chaos of the world around them. Their king, Jesus Christ, reigns and is sovereign over all. May we also have such confidence in the Lord our God and be assured of him through his word. We don't know the future of our nation here. I think all of us would agree it's not looking good. But our God reigns. Jesus reigns. And we need to bring the good news of Jesus' reign to the world. Well, one final thought concerning these desirable effects of the gospel. They are essentially connected with being together as a church. Being knit together necessarily means fellowship and togetherness as a body of believers. Paul is praying for churches here in Colossae and Laodicea. It is the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ that we worship him and with other believers and be part of a church. Where I used to live in Canada, there was a man there who I hope was a believer, but he insisted that his fellowship with his friends on weekends was adequate, and he never went to church. Individualism is rampant in our society. Oh, dear friends, resist such a notion. Delight in being part of the church of Christ and delight in being a blessing to your family in Christ. Well, next we see a desire for gospel security. In verse 4 we read, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. As in the time of Paul, today there are temptations and efforts made to draw us away from the proper Christ-centered focus. The mystery of the Apostle Paul led to Christ and pointed believers to having faith in him. In the letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul was combating teaching which led away from Christ. Another way to translate the phrase persuasive words in verse 4 is plausible arguments, as the ESV translates it. Some arguments which oppose the gospel seem to be plausible. They seem to have a measure of logic, perhaps, to them. But they aren't true. In the church in Colossae, the false teachers were attempting to influence the believers to go back to Old Testament Jewish practices, and even to worship angels in some cases, as we read in chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. And some of the members of the Colossian church seem to be caught up in being tempted to go this route, to somehow find their assurance, yes, in Christ, but also in what they do here and there. 
Well, these things are deceptive, and they ultimately appeal to our carnal sense. They satisfy our desire for self-gratification and pride. But ultimately, they rob God of his glory due unto his name. They're not holding fast to the head, Jesus Christ. And it's a denial of the sufficiency of Christ in his atoning work on the cross. You see, anything which adds to or detracts from the saving work of Christ or attempts to deny him as the true God and the true man must be rejected. It is no longer the truth that's being believed in that case. Well, today we live in a time of mass communication. But people are not discerning and do not critically evaluate the truthfulness of what they're observing and taking in. Christianity, you see, has no secrets. All has been spoken publicly and for all to have access to. Look at Christ's ministry. He was constantly surrounded by people. God has given us his special revelation in his word so that his truth would be broadcast to the world. Go out into all nations and make disciples. May our faith solely be in Christ and may we hold to God's word to be our ultimate authority for faith and life. We have seen Paul's desire to spread the gospel even among the Christians, to strengthen them. And we've seen his desire to have the blessings of the gospel be an encouragement to them and to their hearts. To love each other in the knowledge of Christ, grow in them. And we have seen his desire for the security of the gospel. Well, we conclude with a desire for gospel focus. Paul writes in verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He ends on a note of encouragement as even though he is not physically present with them, he is with them in a spirit of love and hope, rejoicing in their good order and steadfastness of faith. And their good order, which he is thankful for that they possess, refers to the presence of sound teaching, sound doctrine, truth, which can oppose and defeat the false teachers among them. You'll notice how Paul defeats the false teaching. He presents Christ in his glory. The sufficiency of Christ is what Paul presents to the Colossian church to defeat anything that they have that is false. And this in turn has led to their possessing a steadfast faith. A strong faith which is steady, not wavering. A true understanding of God's word creates stability in our lives. And worshiping God with his people as he dictates in scripture creates stability in our lives because it's obeying what God has commanded us to do. And it is centered on the one who, who made us for his glory. And Paul was confident and he rejoiced that the Colossian believers held to sound doctrine and had firm faith in Christ. And that is the goal of Paul's faithful ministry and the goal of all faithful Christian ministry that God's people would stand firm and believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in Paul, we have been given an example in Christian living and Christian priorities. And so we have seen the desired effects of the gospel that Paul presents in the letter of Colossians. 
But we saw the effects of the gospel through the blessed ministry of Richard Hobson on a terribly needy family. Oh, dear friends, we're all so needy. We all need Jesus Christ. Whether we're Christians or not, we need him more and more. We need to grow in our faith. And the Lord has given us all that we need in his word, in the sacraments, and in prayer. And let us, therefore, be faithful in the use of them. Oh, the grace of our God is also shown here in our text. The Lord wants us to be encouraged in our faith, to be knit together in love, and to reach full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of Christ. This is not just Paul's desire for the Colossian and Laodicean believers, but it is God's desire for all of his children who he is gathering through the preaching of the word. And let us then cultivate these things, cultivate these things in our lives as individuals, as families, and as the family of God. And finally, cling, dear friends, to sound doctrine and hold fast to your faith in Christ. We live in a world filled with people who have plausible arguments, persuasive arguments, but which do not stand up to the scrutiny of God's word. Equip yourself to reject teaching, false teaching, by immersing yourself in God's Word. Children, read the Bible. All of us, read God's Word. And may the Lord bless us with a full knowledge of God's Word that one day we may be presented mature in Christ as well. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that in Paul you raised up a faithful minister who you used to write to us your very own words in so many of the letters of the New Testament. And we pray then that you will encourage us in our hearts, knit us together in love for one another and for you, and fill us with your knowledge of the treasures of Christ that we also may have full assurance and steadfast faith. Oh, help us to resist the false teachings which swirl around us in this world, that we may cling to Christ, our rock and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.